Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, I don't have a bit because I'm not good at bits, but happy birthday! Belated. Thank you. No, no, you wish me happy birthday on my birthday. Yeah, but I mean, like, on the podcast, we're late. It was, like, later early, so we did it late. Okay. No, well, I, thank you. Well, If thank it you. makes you feel better, I'm not having my birthday party until Sunday. So does that, does that like, mediate the difference? No. <laughs> but oh, that's okay. okay. That's okay. I thought um, I would try. No, no. How did you, did you enjoy your birthday? It was a good birthday this year? Yeah, it was fine. I mean, I went to work and worked and then came home. And then home came and home soup. and then just like had a day. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I've never not worked on my birthday. Mm-hmm. No, I so do it all the time. Yeah. No. So it's like, and I don't really like, this is the first year that I'm actually allowing someone to throw a party in a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, it's like. Okay, well, that's that's fun. This is fun. I'm being kicked out of the house on Sunday for like two hours. Yeah. While decorations and everything are put up. And I'm just like, okay. But my person's giving me 20 bucks to go to breakfast by myself. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like, here's some money. Go see a Star Wars pancake. <laughs> <laughs> that's, But that's, seriously, it makes my heart go all warm. You guys are so great. Your person's yeah. awesome. Which <laughs> she is. She yeah. knows. And she knows that I say that she's awesome but still i'm gonna say it again because she is um the, the this week we have a bunch of tv news and most of it is sad and or stupid so we're yes. gonna talk about that not, not all of it though um and we got a full week in tv but at the end of the show we're talking about amazon prime's undone which is a really interesting um, probably limited series. It should only be one. It shouldn't come back, right? No, it shouldn't come back. Spoilers. Um, because yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, it we'll talk about back. it at, at the end of the show. But like, yeah, it it's how it ends. It shouldn't it shouldn't come back. But some people want it to come back because it's a very beautifully made show. Um, that's coming at the end of the of the podcast. Um, it's a show about uh, mental illness and trauma and PTSD and it's rotoscoped and it has a really good cast. And it's very interesting. So that's coming later. In the meanwhile, let's start with some very sad news. Uh, rest in peace. We had two uh, TV personalities pass away. You know, people people who we know, and amongst other things, for their work on television. So we wanted to mention it. So um, Linda Porter passed away early in this past week. And people will know her from Twin Peaks. But most specifically, recently, they will know her as Myrtle on Superstore. Um, so that was, of course, a very, very sad thing to see. And then as we record today, Diane Carroll passed away. And, of course, she was a huge celebrity and, and star in, in many different areas. But very specifically, she was the first black female lead on TV. And she was, I think, one of the very first black people on black women on TV who, like, weren't a maid or a secretary, who, like, just yes. was the lead of a show. Um, so... Aside from all of the other ways that she was a remarkable person, that was the Julia was a really big deal in TV. Yeah, yeah. Both of these, like, I mean, I'm not as familiar with Porter's work as I am with Carol's, obviously. Um, but it's, I mean, I loved Porter's work as Myrtle on Superstore a great deal. It was very, very funny. Um, but uh, Carol's just uh, 
a powerhouse, um, both on small and large screens and stage. Yeah. Um, which is also something to keep in mind as well. She, she was, I think like the first black woman to win a Tony award, um, as well, which is also just a big deal. So, um, just real powerhouse performer and someone who broke a number of barriers. Um, so really will be missed. She was also real good on Dynasty, though, everyone. Like, on OG Dynasty, she was <laughs> real good. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of the things I immediately go to with Diane Carroll is the Star Wars Holiday Special. And it's not her no, fault. No, don't do that to her. It's not her fault. <laughs> it's just Why would you do that to her? Because she <laughs> is a is a unfortunate victim of the worst part of arguably the worst. I can't say the worst part of the Star Wars Christmas Special. Um, but her 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 performance is used and put into one of the worst parts of the Star Wars Christmas special. And it's not her fault because she's great. It's just everything, the context around it, which is not her fault, is very stupid and bad. Um, but no, it's important to remember the ways in which she <laughs> – all of the things that she did that were so um, – so so powerful and meaningful and impressive and fun and glorious and delightful and and I think Dynasty is a great example of that. Yeah, it is. It is elsewhere in TV news or I guess just media news, comedy news, media news. Yeah, yeah, everything news. Uh, Todd Phillips has uh, his new Joker movie out, and so we thought he should talk about why it's not interesting to do comedy anymore because everybody's too uh, PC. Uh, just hyper aware, and there's too much cancel culture, and everybody's too performatively woke, and so you can't do anything interesting in comedy. And to, to that, I just like, like I just laugh so much. All of the like every week on our we on our list of shows, listeners, like we have like twenty comedies, and then like three other things that aren't comedies. And when we go to the end of the year, and we have our end of the year rankings. Uh, for for new shows for for best shows like regularly it's a battle of which comedies are going to yeah. be at the top because the most interesting and creative and challenging television that's happening right now is all comedy um so yeah there's some other really good shows out there but it's like the the notion that there you can't push boundaries you can't explore interesting or difficult or taboo topics in comedy is absurd it is. It's just super absurd, but it's also just so, on Phillips's part, this kind of perspective is so just transparently, take me seriously, because I'm on a tour now, mm-hmm. um, nonsense of, no, I don't want to be associated with The Hangover anymore. I'm a serious director. Look at this comic book movie I've made about a psychopath. I'm serious now. Yeah. Um, and it's like, um... No, Todd, that's not how any of this works. And also you just apparently ripped off two other movies. So let's let's stop pretending <laughs> that you're a mastermind. But also this just isn't accurate. Um yeah. comedy consistently has been used regardless of its regardless of society to tell society about itself. So this idea that there's cancel culture, this idea that there is um everything's performative wokeness is false it's a desire that the comedy that i think is funny isn't popular anymore and i'm just gonna take my toys and complain about society and it's like off 
Yeah. Well, it's like one of the most uh, celebrated and most highly anticipated for one of returns shows on TV of this decade has been Atlanta. If you can't yeah. say you can't push boundaries in storytelling or in comedy and look at BoJack Horseman, Big Mouth just came back and there's middle schoolers making all sorts of very raunchy jokes. Like, so, like it just shows the limit, uh, the limitations of his imagination and also what he's exposing himself to. And right. The kind of things that he's consuming um yeah. or and or he just knows that he's full of shit and is like you said being an auteur a capital a performative auteur so that's also very possible yeah i i lay my money that it's a mix of both yes it's very possible uh elsewhere in not stupid uh well differently stupid maybe disappointing yeah. and very foreseeable news is sesame street will no longer be on PBS reliably. It will now be behind a paywall. I hope we're all glad for what we've done as a country to get to this point. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, um, HBO Max will be the exclusive home of PBS now. uh, PBS, no, sorry. will be the exclusive home of Sesame Street now. And new episodes of, of Sesame Street will arrive on PBS at some point in an undetermined future. Um, this is after there was a delay of sorts of PBS getting new episodes from HBO. Um, in, it was something like a four to six month delay, I think, uh, from HBO back when HBO acquired, um, the rights to Sesame Street, um, in 2015. So this is just an extension of that, but it's also an extension of very much whomever is now in charge of Warner Media, AT&T, um, going, how do we monetize this thing that's really popular? Well, let's just really monetize it and keep it from people who have consistently relied on it for decades. And also, we're going to also launch a late night parody program hosted by Elmo is the other thing that is part of this rollout to which I go, I don't understand anything anymore. And I bet Disney Plus is really bummed that they just decide can't figure out what to do with the Muppets. Um, <laughs> they just, I like physically deflated as you said that. I hadn't heard that Elmo thing. It just makes me so sad. Yeah, no, it should make you really sad. It All of this should make everyone very sad. But like you said, this was a foregone conclusion in that Sesame Street was always going to sort of continue to go further behind some sort of access wall. Um, and HBO Max is a great way to do that. So this deal is about for five years. So we're in this for a long haul in terms of how this is going to work. Um, and I don't want to reiterate the points that I made in 2015 about this because it's gross and it's terrible um, that Sesame Street is even further away from people. Um, who rely on it and who use it and now won't get new fresh episodes that are responsive to society um, as quickly. So it's, it's bad. America, we have five years. Get your shit together and get some funding to the NEA and let's get Sesame Street back on PBS where it belongs. Yeah, even though I have no hope that that will actually happen. Yeah, Woo! No, that, delightful! That will, ne- that will never happen. <laughs> Yay! Okay, let's move on to our last topic. This is just going to see a cheery week here. Cheery week here. The happy birthday, Noel. Happy birthday. Um, our last bit of news is that uh, New York Comic Con has been happening. And so, unsurprisingly, uh, there's a Steven Universe panel. And the big New York Comic Con news from that is that there is a, a limited series coming for them. And it's going to be called Steven Universe Future. And it is functioning, functioning as like an epilogue 
limited season or series to Steven Universe as a whole, and it will has a new theme song and new opening credits, and it will sort of function as just like kind of a way of closing off the story. And the idea is, or what it sounds like the idea is, is that Steven has now solved everybody else's issues, and now he's got to deal with his own baggage. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't just keep fixing other people. I have to, like, sit with myself and deal with my actual issues now. Oh, no. Um, so I think that's actually a great idea, personally. Uh, I, I, I'm i disheartened that the show's ending. But, you know, if that's what they want to do, support creators, you know, don't just keep churning just to, you know, if that's not what they want to do. Um, so it makes, that makes me very sad. Um, but I think the idea of really exploring Stephen's issues and, and, you know, Rebecca Sugar and her writers and storyboard artists and every everybody diving in with that. I think there's so much potential there that it could be really interesting. Um, I like that they are announced that they announced specifics about it finally, um, and I like that like the, it looks gorgeous, of course. Um, and I like that it sounds like there's a distinct plan and and an end date for this arc and what they want to do and who knows what will happen next. But it sounds like we should really think of this as the end of Steven Universe. Right, which I think will be good. Um, I think that the season five finale feels really conclusive. Um, so the movie felt like good encore sort of material, which is how I kind of positioned it. And it also feels like a legitimate end to the series. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see what this is, but I like the concept of, all right, we're going to deal with Steven's stuff. And so that actually has me excited a bit more for it than I was when I just kind of watched the video of the new opening kind of on mute on a loop um, a couple of times. I just went, oh, this looks sweet. I like his black t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I it's very say, edgy. <laughs> it's very edgy. Well, it goes well with his neck. Steven um, as an edgelord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Um I will say though that I don't I don't care for the theme song, the new theme song. Um I I I never really like it when shows change their theme song unless they had a terrible one and then they get a good one. But that very rarely happens. I still didn't never really like the second theme song to Monk. You know, like it, like it it goes back for me years. Unless it's like unless it's like a thing where every season you have a new one. You know, yeah. like Craziest Girlfriend, you know, diminishing returns on that one. But I think that's a part of the changing identity of the show. It made sense with that show. Um, here, I'm just, I'm, I like that song for the musical a lot. But it's just like, if it's all about Steven, then why are we? Okay. I just have to. Branding. Branding. I don't like change, Noel. I don't like change. It does feel very anime, though. Like mm -hmm. this, like the same show, which is like a different word tacked on the end to indicate that it's like a different like season or reboot or reimagining or something. Yeah, a little bit, I suppose. I'm. I, yeah, I suppose. No, is that not a thing? <laughs> it's not a thing too much anymore. Like they used to do it, but now they just normally just say season two, season three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, They've so I'm just stopped doing subtitles. Out of date with my anime references. Good to know. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. That's okay. Well, this is... Otherwise, I start yeah. saying things, and then the young people just look at me like I'm crazy. So it's all good. I well, appreciate Well, they do that. that anyway. They do that to me. I'm just... I'm around young people a lot more now, and they just look at me like I'm old. Yeah, I did get my flu shot today, and okay. which is very good. Everyone go get your flu shots, um, and found out that apparently I am 
behind I Need a Booster for MMR, like that whole thing. So oh, yeah. As someone around children, uh, I need to schedule my measles booster again because of the state of America. We're back full circle. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. You should you should do that, Kate. Please do I that. Will. I will do that. I will do that. Um. Anyways, on that cheery note uh, of, of the state of vaccines in this country and the return of measles... Let's 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 clear the air with some fun music. And so we're going to listen to Bad Guy by Billie Eilish because she was the musical guest at SNL this week, which means that it's an excuse for me to play Billie Eilish. And I think she's terrific. So uh, we're going to listen to that song now and uh, hopefully come back for some cheerier conversation <laughs> where we kick things off. Woo! Okay, we'll be right back after this. That was Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, and as uh, attentive listeners will have noted, I did not use her SNL performance because it wasn't very good. I instead used the the regular, uh, the studio album uh, performance, um, but I don't hold that against her. We'll get th- to that in a little bit when we talk about our week in TV. This week, we're going to start things off with Fresh Off the Boat, which had its season six premiere, uh, Help Unwanted. Then Bob's Burgers had its premiere, The Ring, but not scary, which... I enjoy that title. SNL came back for season 45 with Woody Harrelson and Billie Eilish. And then uh, we caught up, or specifically I caught up because you had already seen, uh, Dairy Girls on, on Netflix. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, The Good Place, the, A Girl from Arizona Part 2, Superstore, Testimonials. And I'm just going to I'm just gonna need a, a few minutes in my angry dome about Perfect Harmony. Uh, this week's episode is Fork Fest, but, but yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna need a moment. <laughs> and while I cool off, Noel will talk the terror infamy because you've been catching up. And we'll run things out with Evil, 177 minutes. And of course, like I feel like Evil is a good lead into <laughs> the Great British Baking Show, Great British Bake Off, Roaring Twenties Week. Uh yeah. What demons have possessed Bake Off? <laughs> yeah. We're we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it. But first, we're gonna talk about Fresh Off the Boat, which had season six premiere Help Unwanted. And I thought this was solid. I like what they're giving Eddie. Um, I like this dynamic that we're getting um amongst the siblings and everything, and the 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 blinking, the blinking stuffed animals, um, uh, which is delightful. Um, but I don't know, it could be just that I'm projecting, but it does feel like Constance Wu is a little checked out. What do you think? Um Maybe a little, but she's kind of felt checked out even For last a while. year. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just fair. I mean, she out of everyone, she's had like the most success in terms of like transitioning or wanting to transition. Like Randall Park's been around for also a really long time, but he's also not like taking like really big swings. He's just like, 
I'm happy to play an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. character, except not an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, because I got to meet Paul Rudd, everyone. I got to meet Paul Rudd. <laughs> he was delightful in that. And, and of course, he was on Veep um, he's, since season one. So, yeah, he's yeah. been around for a long time. Uh, but I don't agree, though. I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but yeah. it's, I mean, it's not okay. You shouldn't be. No, it's not okay. But, but it's I mean, understandable. It's, it's understandable. Like, I just, I kind of get it, even though I do like the plotline that they give her give Jessica here with honey and like the finally hitting the limits of Jessica's meddling and being like, Oh, okay. No, we're, we're going to need to push back now. It only took six years, but we're going to push back. now. We're going to give Jenny a megaphone. Oh yeah. That was Which punchable was also really, there. really good. And I love that concept. And I hope Jenny just keeps finding a megaphone. Yeah, just just fish it out of the river. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Fresh Off the Boat? Or if not, Bob's Burgers. Yeah, the Bob's Burgers premiere was really good, too. I appreciated the return of Nat. Um, who <laughs> Delightful Jillian Bell. Just, just has so many... I just... I think that if anyone deserves a spinoff, it's Nat. Because I need to know all the things. I need to know all the stories of Nat's life. Just See, all of them. I, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree. I feel like it's best left to my imagination because the actual show could not live up to our imagination and the throw off lines. No, that's super, that's super duper true. It doesn't stop me from wanting it though. Um, yeah. The rest of this I think is really good. I like that the kids, um, again, got into a bit of hijinks and then lost a, lost a ring at a world park. I think is really cute and sweet. Um, but mostly, well, I've never, I don't think I've ever had pink eye. I think I maybe did like when I was really young, but I don't like eye drops, Kate. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not good at eye drops. I'm <laughs> aggressively bad at eye drops. So you're the gale. Um, yeah, I'm the gale. I'm not to that extent, except a little bit to that extent. Um, <laughs> the shower curtain was amazing. Oh God, it was so good. So I, I related real hard to that eye drop inability real, real hard. Um, but yeah. It also led to a really good conversation between my person and I, who basically said, if you ever develop pink eye, um, I'm just going to kind of move out for a little while because I won't be able to look at you. You're on your own. <laughs> You're on your own. And yeah. so that, that, that I, I appreciate honesty and our, our relationship is built on that kind of communication. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the premiere? I thought it was delightful. I thought it was a lot of fun. The, um, the notion of... Of Bob actually remembering and planning for and executing an appropriate gift for mm-hmm. a, a birthday anniversary Valentine's was a was a nice change of pace and certainly something yes. that I don't feel like they've done before in yeah. the ten seasons of the show. So like that was nice. Uh, I, I enjoyed the what's the what's that uh, fairy tale right of of there's there's that one fairy tale of the person who puts on the ring and they they're going to have to marry. They're cleaning and they put on the ring, so they're gonna have to um, marry their like their dad or something terrible. So they run away. So there's like a whole thing fairy tale about that. Do you know? People, listen. Knowles is looking at me with this most confused expression on his face. This is like a like a fairy tale. You don't know this? It's like a twist on Cinderella or something. Yeah, no, I've never heard of this. Yeah, no, it's like. The, Are you like, sure the, this isn't just like a Kulzik family? No, um, this is myth not just a Kulzik family passed. thing. It was at the very least in the Jim Henson Storyteller book, uh, okay. but I don't know if they wrote it or if they got it from somewhere else. But it's like it's a twist on Cinderella where the 
the there's like the ring and whoever fits the ring has it will get marry the king right and the mom dies and so then they have to find the next person who's gonna fit the ring but like the dad doesn't want to get married, so he doesn't let anybody touch it. And so then the, the stepsisters and the and Cinderella or whatever are are messing with it, and then the she ends up with it on her finger. And so then they have to try to get it off. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so and then they end up she ends up running away, and it's it, it's and being Cinderella, and it's a whole thing. Listeners will know what I'm talking about. Like two of you, maybe probably one of you, and you'll reach out, and then I won't feel like a crazy person, but. This is a long way to say that I appreciated this twist on it with Jean at the water park. Okay. This has been too long. Let's move on to <gasps> SNL. Um, so Woody Harrelson and Billie Eilish, the, obviously I enjoy Woody Harrelson quite a bit, but the interesting thing for me was actually Billie Eilish, who I've sort of uh, caught up with and discovered this summer. Are you familiar with her and her music? Not at all, but this should surprise absolutely no one. <laughs> Well, I, you know, she's, she's a young uh, performer. I want to say she's like 17 now, but she like skyrocketed to popularity when she put up a original song on SoundCloud that was going to be, cause she put up on SoundCloud so that it could be used for like a dance class or something to Mm -hmm. like to choreograph a dance to. And then it just like, it got huge. It went viral. It got hugely popular. So sort of out of nowhere, they recorded it. She and her brother recorded it like the day of or after her 14th birthday. And, uh, and then they write all of their music, all of her music uh, together. And uh, she's a very good singer. Um, the performance wasn't, her vocal performance wasn't great on SNL. And so it's been interesting watching, at least for Bad Guy, which is her breakthrough hit song. Um, but it's been interesting to watch people talk about this on Twitter because a lot of people don't necessarily know who she is if they're not following popular music, especially for younger right. kids. And and so there just was this, like, uh, backlash against her. And, oh, she's not a good singer. This is what like, the kids think music is and all this kind of ridiculous stuff. It's like, people don't get on SNL for not being good or at least not being popular, you know? Like, yeah. I was about to say that there's, there's pe- people who aren't good end up on SNL all the time, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like having something right. that merits them being on SNL, let alone in the season premiere. And so right. to just not assume like, well, maybe she had a bad night. It's she's 17 and it's SNL. It's pretty intimidating. Well, and not only that, but no one has good performances on SNL. Like, singers and musicians just don't tend to have really good performances on SNL. I feel like it's just, it doesn't happen a lot. And so that idea just, I'm just like, well, of course not because it was on SNL. It just almost never goes well to me in my mind. It always goes kind of okay to, Oh, that was terrible. (laughs) Well, and she was doing the dancing on the ceiling bit from the Fred, that Fred Astaire movie where they had the spinning room and she's like, and so while she was doing that while, performing the song on two sprained ankles and one of her feet in a boot. So, like, there were some other things going on, and apparently she sounded great on the other song that she sang, seated on a stool with her brother. So, like, come on, guys. Just, like... Anyways, that's been Kate's rant uh, at people who don't know what they're talking about, determining that all young people don't have any taste in music, which is absurd. Um, and apparently still a conversation that comes cyclically in our in our culture. Um... Let's talk about the rest of the actual episode, though. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the the um, um, the, the sketch where Eddie Bryant broke, which is how everybody is talking about it because of the costume thing. But I, I I was enjoying just this this 
political one of a talk show. Everybody going, oh, the, the we got him button from yes. John Oliver. And then Ain't nothing's going to happen. <laughs> nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to. So I, I enjoyed that one. I thought there were some, some other fun sketches. What did you think? Yeah, no, I think that's actually a standout on not just because of how Bryant broke so completely and how everyone else then broke really completely. Well, because she never does. No, well, I mean, she does sometimes, but she never breaks to that extent. Like, I mean, it's hard not to break when you're doing like the alien abduction sketch with Kate McKinnon because she's just, she's so deep in it. And Bryant breaks routinely during that bit, um, but everyone does. Like, it's hard not to. The only person who doesn't is Cicely Strong. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think that's because she's immune. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's been around too long. So it's just like, no, I know. I'm, I'm used to this. So, no, I think that joke was really, really good. And I appreciated, like, the conceit and the requirement of, like, do you need to do quick changes to do the time shift? And I really, really like that, both as kind of solid, but not necessarily, like, revelatory uh, satire, political satire type stuff, um, but also just painfully accurate. Uh, I like the Democratic Town Hall. Uh, my Rudolph showing up as Harris I thought was funny. Um, Woody Harrelson should probably just come on to play Biden all the time, if just for physical resemblance. Um, it's, it would be better than Sudeikis, who played him, like, during, like, the Obama era. Um, but mostly I just liked it for the fact that it's the best description of Elizabeth Warren I've heard of. I'm a mom with five boys who all play a different sport. I have the energy of that mom. And she's like, that is so accurate. That is, that is who Elizabeth Warren is. Um, so I, I appreciated that, uh, very much. Uh, the rest of it, I think, is fine. Um, the opening bit was pretty standard, cold open Trump stuff. So at that point, those things just kind of write themselves. Um, but I will never not get tired of them just using the women on the cast to play all of, uh, Trump's various appointees because it's perfect. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, I, I do think the, uh, my Rudolph was terrific casting. But yeah. they didn't, and she sold the crap out of what they gave her, but they didn't, yeah. I don't think they nailed Kamala Harris no, at all. They, they did not, no. <laughs> it's really kind of sad how far off the mark they were on that one, because there is a lot you could do there. Um, but the character she was playing was funny. Um, I also thought they made good use of Bon Yang in, yes. in his first episode, and that the Marion Williamson impression oh, from- was the- way too accurate. It was, like, eerily, terrifyingly accurate. Now, that's the other new cast member yes. whose name whose I don't name remember. Can, yeah. I apologize. I want to say something like Caitlin or something like that. Christine, Kristen, something with a C, and then last name starts with an F. Um, she was really funny <laughs> and only featured in, I think, that sketch or maybe one other. Um, but, uh, but no, there were some, some good little, little bits like that. And I, Full, full, uh, fully agree about bringing back Woody Harrelson if he wants to come back to yeah. play to play Biden. Uh, the the teeth that was that was, that was oh great. so good. <laughs> I also I agree about the Elizabeth Warren like energy though that was that was very good. I just the notion like that I can't wait to see what they do with with her for this next week. What with this whole yeah. uh, potential cougar scandal thing that people are trying to 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 bring up and as if. Democrats are going to care about that. I think it's so cute. <laughs> but anyways, um, that, that there's going to be a lot of fun. I think this the season with that, um, with with the different personalities in the Democratic primary. We'll see what happens next. And of course, standard disclaimer that SNL should, you know, be helping in our 
public discourse and not hurting. So we'll see what they do with all of this impeachment stuff. More on that later. Let's move on to our next episode, or in this case, series of episodes. Uh, Dear Girls is a show that's been on as a Channel 4 show, but it's been on Netflix for a while now. And I was caught up on things that were not intense or required my attention uh, and had some time. So I was looking for something to watch while I did some other chores and work. And and I was like, you know what? I should just check out Dairy Girls. I've heard such a, so, so many good things about it. I should just finally sit down and watch it. So I watched the entire first season, which is only six episodes, half hour show. But still, I watched the entire first season in one sitting because this show is so funny. And I know that you've, have we talked about it before in the podcast? We've talked about it. You've told me to watch it. But uh, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. So, Noel, are you with me on Dairy Girls? I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I think there, there are corners of the show and more, less so, less so corners, but more so characters on the show that I really, really like rather than I think the show overall. Um, but I do really appreciate that of how much it feels very much of a piece of its time. And in terms, both in terms of just kind of general aesthetics, but also like, how it incorporates politics really, really nicely into its show. Um, it's use of hitting like major historical things in the, the, both of the first two finales, I think is really, really, really smart and really, really good as sort of demarcations for this group of friends um, journey. So I think that it's just generally really, I think it's really smart. Just some of the things just don't hit as well for me as they should. But I think that there's just so many good performances in it. And it's also just really, really funny in from certain characters that I just, I just kind of let the parts that I don't particularly like just kind of go away and I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, for those who don't know, it's set in, in Derry or London Derry. Um, in Ireland in the nineties during the conflict there. Um, well, at the height of violence, I guess I should say, does that seem appropriate? Yeah, no, I mean, it's the height of the Northern Ireland conflict. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and so it's, uh, contrasting a group of, of young girls, high school girls who, and <laughs> one's English cousin, who's a boy, uh, at an all girls Catholic school, um, in Derry. And, uh, you know, set against some of these other things that are happening, but it's very much a normal teen sitcom. Uh-huh. And these are, you know, highlighting that it, life is still life, you know? Uh, so they're still very focused on certain topics <laughs> and on getting away f- with not studying for their exams. Um, and, and while all of this other stuff is happening at the same time. So yeah, it's, it, I had just assumed that it was like a, like a Schitt's Creek con- convenience thing where there were like six or seven seasons that mm-hmm. I had was behind. No, there's two seasons. Uh, yeah. So listeners, you can get caught up in a day if you want. Um, so, so yeah, I will be finishing season two and getting caught up with Dairy Girls. So that way when it comes back for season three, it has been renewed. Um, I can be part of that watching experience. Um, but yeah, I was. For whatever reason, I just assumed it had it was one of those shows that had been around a long time and had just recently caught like caught on in the US and I was massively behind on it was gonna take me forever to get caught up on. Pleasantly surprised, no, not the case. I think that was a fair assumption that you made uh, in terms of thinking that it was just because so, that's how like TV cycles kind of go now is like 
as a culture, everyone sort of ignores Shit's Creek, and now suddenly it's the best thing that television's ever produced, type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, to which I go, okay, well, let's just pump brakes just a little, um, type of thing. But also, just I think that that just makes sense. But I do think that this is a really accessible show. It's really good. Um, it's perfect, I think, for like families as well. If you mm-hmm. want something um, to watch that isn't that is very much in the vein of an ABC family sitcom. But a little, a little different, just a little different. Like this, mm-hmm. a remake of this would feel very at home on ABC. I feel like. Um, but the other reason I think to watch is um, for Siobhan McSweeney, who plays sis- Sister Michael. Oh, um, she's Irish, right? I, I will, I, I don't know, but I just, I did not, I was not aware that there was Irish Laura Nash, right? Yes, exactly. I was not aware that there was a little Irish Laura Nash. Now we have one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that we have a exact com- yeah, that is the exact comparison I was going to make. So I'm glad we were on the same wavelength because oh, 100%. Yeah. there are so many similarities in their performance techniques here yeah. um, that I'm just like, oh, it's real good. It's real um, good. So if only for Sister Michael, this is worth watching, in which case then you have to at least very least watch episode three, which I think is the Smirking Virgin Mary episode, um, <laughs> which one. is... I think it's the funniest one of them because it also involves a hot priest. Uh-huh. It does involve a, a, a hot priest. Yes. There's a, it's a whole thing. Um, yes. Listeners, if you enjoy Lauren Ash, go watch Dairy Girls. Even though Lauren Ash is not technically not in, in it. it. Not in it. But if you enjoy the energy of, of her character on Superstore, you will enjoy Sister Michael. Yes, very much. Yes. Okay. Um, not to not not to put down the actual actor who does a great job. No, no she's fantastic. She's fantastic. my favorite part of the show. Yeah, it's just you know there's a cultural touch point there. Um, let's move on to the good place, and this was the a girl from Arizona part two. And so last week I said at the end of the episode, obviously they switched out Michael with the evil demon, and now it seems like they didn't. And if they did, then. A lot of the stuff in this episode doesn't make sense or track, and if they didn't, yeah. then that was a stupid way to end the last episode. So I'm torn. So let's start with there, and then we'll go to the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's it's real hard, because he has just so much information. Yeah. And also just the way it's either he just has so much information, or it's not a demon. And it's weird, because it fits. Everything fits. Why else would you show off the Michael suit in the previously on? Unless they're trying to fake us out because they know that we know that they know that they like to fake us out. Listen oh. to my Hall of Faces episode on Friends over at Hall of Faces. I stand for Monica because, of course, they did. Have you guys met me? Come on. Um, so uh, go check that out. We might talk about you don't know that they don't know that you don't know a little bit over there. Okay. Return to our Good Place discussion. Why? Like, it just it's that that whole ending was not funny and stupid and was tacked on and there's no point to it if not that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, so no, I know. it's frustrating. But he he knows things that only Michael should know. So it's yeah. It's also frustrating because despite the fact that these two episodes aired separately, they should have aired together. Yes. It's just from is from a pacing perspective, but also just from like a larger emotional through line sort of thing. I get that whenever Good Place does two part episodes they're always done in a segmented sort of way, like like how this two-parter functions. But it was, it was definitely something that would have worked better aired together because then that question about the replacement of the Michael doesn't necessarily feel as forefronted mm-hmm. um, necessarily because then you get something else to focus on, which is 
Eleanor's struggle to continue to do this, um, and then trying to push Chidi um, in with Simone and just all of that stuff. I think it's just there's all of those elements there that I think just works better if this was an hour. Um, so yeah, how, how did you feel about the um, Eleanor struggle and her um, attempt to try to? get Trent to realize that he was, he needed to improve himself. And then it was just, I want to go to the best place. <laughs> yeah. That was a good way to take that. And it, it was sense so good. It worked. <laughs> yeah. And I, of course they lampshaded the, um, doing it for the wrong reasons thing, but yes. like, that's the best you were going to hope for, for yeah. him. Like that was the best case scenario. Maybe he'll just start doing it. Out. I like how she's like, just not because he becomes better, just out of habit. So he'll, you know, just, be affected but if, if only so that he doesn't disrupt everybody else and cause everybody yeah. else to get worse you know yeah. um so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that i yeah i think this this episode and the previous one work much better together um the like you were saying structurally pacing some of these other things that are going on it it's as a two-parter success like it's funnier <laughs> to all together so i i feel like now we've finished the premiere and we can yes. see what happens next um but yeah I, it was you know, I, I enjoyed business suit Eleanor, and I enjoyed <sighs> her Michael her her Michael esque suits as opposed to a Michael suit are just so good. Mm -hmm. I like them very much. I understand wanting to get rid of them by the end, but she just looked so good in them. <laughs> yeah, it's a good look, and I liked um, I like that uh, we we got a little bit of of Jason and Tahani like bonding and and uh you know over the breakup at least for now uh and yeah there was a lot of good stuff here and i'm excited for for what's coming next they dropped like portals i didn't they even did. tell you about portals tell you about portals man yeah I, it's, it's and i i the performance from darcy carden when she was like and also of course man jacinto but like the delivery of yeah. and i'm genuinely so sorry but yeah. I feel like you need to know. Yeah, it was it was it was very good. Um, over on Superstore, we had testimonials, and this is all about um, the the team at Cloud Nine trying to give positive testimonials to Mateo to get him out of detention, at least while they're waiting for his hearing, so he can be out on bond and not have to be in the detention center. Um, and then the subplot is, of course, the engagement party that that Dina is not throwing. And Jonah better not throw. Uh, so, so it's it was a good balance, I thought, of these of these two very uh, more serious and more comedic um, through lines. What what did you think of testimonials? No, I think balanced is a really good word. Even though I think there are also missed opportunities. Like I really wanted to watch Jonah eat that cake, like a, much more of that cake than we actually saw, because it was such a big sheet cake. It was a really large sheet cake. Um, and then to have him just with that tiny struggle cake. Yep. Oh, it was very good. But no, I think balance is really accurate. Um, and I appreciated like the, the ways in which they also managed to weave in the union and the ice stuff back into this as a way to. And Jeff. With Jeff as a way to get Mateo out while also keeping all of this at the forefront still. Basically, it's just like, yeah, no, he's out. It's great. Except it's not because I still have to go to a bond. I still have to have a hearing. I have an ankle tracker. I have all these things. Plus the union. Plus I can't work. Yeah, I can't work. Yeah, no, all this stuff. So I think that there's plenty of good stuff happening here. And then just to cap it all off with the fact that Mateo's outing, uh, Mateo getting released from detention, then just 
takes over Sandra's <laughs> uh, shower, but then how happy Sandra is to see him. I, just I like, like, legitimately got choked up. Yeah, no, I did too. Like, just that big hug of like, no, I don't care type of thing. Of just like, you're out, you're here, that's what matters. And so it was just, it was really, really sweet. And it made me very happy. Yeah, I was glad that they already had him out of detention in the second episode. I didn't yeah. anticipate that uh, happening so quickly in the season. Um, but I, I really appreciate like, and now it's over. No, it's just like barely no. started. This is, yeah. it's a, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think, thought they handled that well. And, and, you know, like we were saying before the season started, um, I, I've, I'm pretty optimistic about these writers handling this storyline well and handling it with respect. So I have no doubt that we will be seeing every stage in the process that everything that could be a stage will be a stage. I'm guessing unless there's like an episode order restriction, you know, yeah. on how many they can show, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I thought this was a really solid second episode and I'm looking forward to what comes next. Yeah, I am too. I am. I am too. Um, so why don't you go ahead and go into your rage cone? And no, tell it's, me an if- an, it's an angry dome as angry future dome. fans Sorry. will be okay. well aware. Um, okay. So listeners, Perfect Harmony, as we've talked about before, is a show on NBC about a choir director, a choral conductor, um, who is a From professor. From Stanford! Princeton. Princeton. But, but yes. <laughs> um, who is, is can, you know, ends up working with this choir. And in the, I've seen now four episodes, because I put some screeners up, and okay. they, you know, have at least one vocal performance each episode, and they do a wonderful job. I mean, it's very obviously, like, highly produced, which I, yes. it's not my favorite thing, but whatever. The, they, they sound good. The singers sound good. Um, and it's synced up beautifully with this, with what's on screen, and they have drums in several of the performances, and they sync up the drum, you know, the drumming really well. And, and then you go and you watch Bradley Woodford conduct and what the fuck okay this is not okay this is not how you you don't stand with your shoulders diagonal and kind of do a smirk and a shimmy of your hands to conduct he's supposed to be a prestigious choral conductor so prestigious that they that his name is enough to get the choir into certain competitions and they they didn't feel the need like the dialogue works the dialogue makes sense at least on my limited understanding as a violinist but with choral things that i have heard you know, singers talk about, but the physicality, it's not hard to conduct. This episode begins and he's listening to the Bach and minor violin concerto. Don't get me wrong. I'm a violinist. Bach and minor violin concerto. Lovely concerto. But it's so basic. Why is he listening to the Bach and minor violin concerto? And later, he's, like earlier or later, one of those, he's listening to the Four Seasons. I mean, like maybe he's got a thing for Baroque, but why wouldn't it be choral? But anyways, he's conducting maybe along in his car. Maybe it's comfort food. Maybe it's comfort food. Yeah, whatever. But he's connecting <laughs> along in his car, and it's the like the worst fake conducting I've seen. There's no weight to his arm. It doesn't correspond at all to the music. And if you can, uh, when he's conducting the choir, Noel, if they can sync up drum drumming and the hits of percussion, they can sync up down, left, right, up. It's not hard. Or just even down, up, if it's in two, which some of these songs have been. There's just you would get nothing, nothing from what he's doing that communicates any sort of understanding of music or feel of the music. And if they can sync up all that other stuff, they clearly know what songs they're doing ahead of time for the performances because they have to record them and plan them and arrange them and all of that. 
just give him a basic 101 conducting thing. You know there are choir choir professors and choral conductors who would love to be like, actually, I taught Bradley Whitford how to conduct for his TV show. I'm pretty fancy. Like, you don't have to even pay them that much. They'll show up, right? And it's it's really annoying. It's really annoying. It's like they're reaching through the screen to be like, no, you this the show that that speaks to specific things that you really enjoy and appreciate and value. No, this part is going to be wrong. It's going to drive you insane because you're a crazy person. So that's how I feel about her retirement right now. Um, any thoughts? Um, I think you're absolutely correct that it, it also just looks bad visually. Like it doesn't. Okay, look I'm like not crazy. Anything. It's not just like as a non musician, right? No, no, like, no. He just kind of looks like he's standing there waving his arms. It doesn't even look like something, mm-hmm. uh, which is really boring to watch. But I'm also like just have to assume that they're not teaching him because it's just much harder to. Like, you're talking about syncing up all the audio stuff, and I just have to think about, like, the editing of syncing him up with where they are, and that's the reason they're not bothering. But then, but just- he's not even in the same frame. It's a different shot. Like, he's just him in the... Qu- Sorry, please continue. No, 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 but I'm just saying for, like, they do they do a fair bit of shot reverse shot as well mm-hmm. um, with him in the choir. So, like, getting that maybe to sync up is maybe an issue for them, and they're not concerned about it. But visually, it's just very flat whenever they cut to him which it shouldn't be because of the reasons you've enumerated. So even if it, it doesn't need to be bigger because then it just calls attention to the fact that he also still doesn't know what he's doing, but it needs to be something more than what he is doing, which is to your point, like shimmies or doing kind of jazz hands. And it's like, that's not even, I know that's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah. There are like, talk to any musician or anybody who did music up through high school. And they will tell you there are subsections of types of conductors. There are stereotypes and, and, and caricatures of different types of conductors that even like a base level of music familiarity um, will will make you aware of. So like choir conductors are very different than orchestral conductors are very different than band conductors. Um, so so like he doesn't feel like any of them. But like there are there are certain things you could be going to. You could make that part of the humor and it would be really yeah. funny. Uh, you could make his particular style or the fact that he's actually really bad at conducting, but he's a good teacher, part of the humor. But they don't do that. Instead, they just like, oh, gosh, this is so bad. And Bradley Whitford, I expect more from you, dude. Have some curiosity. I realize you're cashing a paycheck. Um, but you're you're a better actor than this. Come on, dude. Come on. But it's really, it's the editing. But if he was doing a better performance, it would be easier to edit it. Yeah, it would be. Because they're probably just picking it from, like, a couple of shots and then just having them kind of stand there with the master shot that they take. And it's just like, this this isn't this isn't working. It's not good. Well, because you know that they're playing the, the song to record yeah. to. And then they've dubbed the sound in later, right? So he yeah. is, like, if he understood how to do a basic beat, not a lot, just a basic beat, then uh-huh. he could be acting while he does just, like, this basic down-up that at least would time correctly. And and it, that would not be hard to sync up. He's like, okay, now we're going to take two minutes and you're going to fill your arms to this song. And then we'll use some of it. Like, that's not... <sighs> okay. I think we should move on. Thank you for your indulgence. Listeners, thank you for your indulgence. Let's let's hear some uh, null ranting, maybe, about the Terry Infamy. So how do you feel about Chester? He's a dick. 
He's a yeah, really he stupid is. dick. Um, You're so, not my father. What? I don't understand. Like, why? What motivates that line? So, listeners, I've gotten up to episode. I've through episode six, which is Taizo. Um, but so I've got Yuko's. Um, what call it? Origin. Um, and then now Chester's origin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just. I think, like, there are a number of problems with this season, um, many of which just boil down to a supreme lack of focus, um, which is, I think, the biggest problem that's having this season. Like, I think that when they joked at Comic-Con about, yeah, no, everything you liked about season one, it's a totally different show. And they weren't kidding is the problem, mm-hmm. because the lack of focus and the lack of tension means that when they do kind of scary things it doesn't feel like it's landing in any way, shape or form, which is a big problem when they do actually try to do something scary, like having Yuko slowly crawl out of that um, canvas bag, which even in broad daylight should be really, really scary and mainly only functions to be scary in the sense of something creepy is going on. But there's just a complete lack of like internal tension and horror within the show itself that doesn't carry over and build up each week inside of the audience. And I think that that just results in things that should be scary end up feeling kind of flat, or you have an aesthetic appreciation for kind of how cool it looks, but it doesn't stir anything in you beyond, oh, that's supposed to be scary. It's neat, but it's not scary. And it's just really, really frustrating because then there's just a lack of anything happening in terms of pointedness about politics of like the internment camps or anything. Just kind of, they don't feel like they want to engage in any of it. So we're going to jump off to the Pacific Theater for three episodes for no reason. It's very Um, stupid. It's just, it's very frustrating. And glimmers of interesting things keep happening like the entirety of yuko's sort of descent into becoming the ure and that deeply plastic fake garden house Mm -hmm. is beautiful it's gorgeous it's one of the best visual things i've watched on tv of just how bright and fake it looks and that that's on purpose is gorgeous and also just the fact that it also aggressively feels like a dollhouse like a playset, and i just really really liked it and the through line of all of that i thought was really really good and then other things like i texted you about uh loose being styled in a way to hearken to the la lorna and then to just overlay that to a certain extent on to yuko i think is culturally really interesting but the show doesn't have anything to actually say about that it just does it, but there's no there's no discussion about cultural specificity about it or anything along those lines that maybe I'm missing because I don't have that culture. But it, it's not being given to me either in a way that makes me draw those lines. So little things impress me from the aesthetics to the very kind of ballet-esque jerkiness of people's movements when Yuko's controlling them, particularly like the doctor is mm-hmm. just perfect. 
it's like really precise and really perfect and really haunting, but it just never adds up to anything. And that's my biggest problem six episodes in is that nothing's adding up to anything. And I'm deeply, deeply frustrated by that. So that's where I am with six episodes. Um, I'm will hopefully be caught up by next week. Um, Cause we only have two left in terms of what we need to catch up on. So hopefully I will be caught up for next week. Knock on wood, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm very disappointed. Well, there's such rich material to mine, but season one, it had a clear point of view and issue it wanted to explore. And like maybe two, like civilization versus the wild, right? Yeah. And the dangers of man, right? So like they're you know, and the coming of civilization into a new place. Like there, there was like a couple ideas they wanted to really examine and they kept a tight focus on that. And they used this setting and this narrative to, to do that. This season is all over the place. And some of it is also, I think some of the performances and, you know, and the acting, but I don't know who could do anything with this material. Like, I don't know who was going to do a good job with the role of Chester because the stuff that they give him is, bad um i do think that there are other members of the cast who are better but are not given anything to do (laughs) anything to do um i don't know if you agree that that opening like sequence that we get the first like three minutes of taizo and you see yuko like playing with a toy into a clearly empty crib right that that whole journey should have been an episode yeah. There's so much there there. There's so much they could have dived into and the performance, you know, was going to meet whatever they gave her. And instead, they're like, "No, we got to make sure. We got to make sure that we get like half of the episode with Chester cuz that's our through line." No, nobody cares about Chester. No. And I care more about his parents who I think are both actors who are being played by uh Shingo Yusami and Naoko uh, Mori are both really really good. Yeah. Um yeah. like um, when like Usami does such a good job, um, especially now because Henry is even like more withdrawn because of everything that's going on. His run to hug Luce as she's leaving the camp is just gut wrenching, and the sheer amount of like emotion that he's able to put into that, considering the fact that they've had three scenes together at by that point, is just really potent and shouldn't work, except it does work real, real well. And I think that that demonstrates that some of these actors are able to get around, get, get, um, are able to punch through the show and which is really good. I don't think that many people are able to punch through the show though. And it's just, it, and I don't think it's entirely the actor's fault's faults though, either. It's, but also like, I mean, I do want to give the show credit for one thing, like one other big thing. They cast Reed Diamond, and he's not playing an evil asshole. And it's <laughs> it's weird, but I'm willing to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good at that as yeah. well. He's yes, very good he at is. not being an evil asshole. He just yeah. doesn't get to do that very often. No. Yeah, it, it, it's like they don't trust the idea. They didn't trust the idea of staying in the the, the concentration camp. Yeah. It's like, they, it like, well, we can't just stay in there. So we have to have a reason for us to go to the Pacific theater. And then we have, he'll break out and we'll go. Like, what? Like the first season was literally just in the ice. And the only parts that weren't in the ice were the flashbacks. And those were the worst part of the season. It's like, you can do an isolated story. They just needed to come up with 
other ideas for what the threat was going to be and what they had to say about it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm so far, I'm not getting anything. And I hope that changes in the last few episodes, but I last am not two. holding my breath. We only have breath. two episodes There's left. There's only nine? No, there's ten, and there's the, ten. the ninth episode airs this, uh, this next month, week. This coming week, yeah, yes, week, yeah. you're right. So we've only got two left. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, where I was holding my breath was when I was watching Evil foolishly last night before I went to bed. Oh, no, terrible idea, Kate. Don't terrible do that. Idea. Much, much scarier. Uh, you were not kidding about those night terror scenes. Very creepy. Um, yeah, I think this is working so far pretty well um the i like what we the reveal at the end of the second episode i like um i like some of what we're getting with george i think they're playing michael emerson just enough just right just enough um and so far they're pacing it pretty well so we'll we'll see what happens Uh, there's a level of manipulation and sinisterness to the priest that i also like um, to like making sure that we got we keep her on the team, you know. Um, it sounds like there's more to come from that that I think is a little interesting. But uh, if I'm a mother of was it four kids, four girls, four girls, all with L names, all with L names, like I need you need stability in your job, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't know that I turn down the job with the the unscrupulous person I don't respect, but where I know I'm definitely getting paid in favor of the job for the same amount of time with somebody I literally just met for the Catholic church. Super. It's a super fair concern, but also you don't cast that guy to play a priest and not have him play something sinister on the side, because that's what that guy does. Yeah. He's very good at it. Like I keep saying with about different actors, he can do other yeah. things. We've seen him do not be evil. Yeah. Like Reed Diamond. We've seen him not be evil, but like, come yeah. on, let's, he's something's coming. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that, again, I like this episode in terms of it doesn't deal with possessions, so we get something kind of different in what they're going to explore and how they kind of go about that, but also the uncertainty around what's happening here. But also, boy, the kings love to talk about deep fakes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, so I, I just also just as, as now, I guess, a king aficionado and fanboy, I guess, is like the only way to describe it. It's just like, aww. You guys have things, and I knew you had things, but I'm just glad they're everywhere now. Um, I'm very over some of their things. Yeah, no, that's... quirks. But the deepfakes is not one of them. And I will say, Asif Mondvi's character might be my favorite part of the show, aside from just Michael Coulter's chemistry. Yeah, like, I mean, Michael Coulter has chemistry with a phone book, (laughs) so... But yeah, no, I think Monvi's in also is going to be someone who can like really kind of continue to grow and stretch in this particular type of role as well, because there's just a lot of untapped stuff for him already. But I'm glad of those glimpses that we get into his like personal life off the clock, as it were, in this uh, episode. So I'm really eager to see more of that. But I think that the the core trio is just really, really good when they're with anyone, but when they're together, it just really kind of sings really, really nicely. Um, so I'm eager to see what else they've got in store for this kind of procedural approach to doing, figuring out occurrences or mm-hmm. however they want uh, incidents or whatever they're calling them. I can't quite remember. Um, but yeah, I just really like it. And the night terror stuff is still kind of creepy and unsettling. <laughs> it's very creepy. And very yeah. unsettling. And that's for someone who doesn't have night terror. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Also, it's Mike Coulter, not Michael Coulter. Mike. That felt yeah. felt very wrong. Mike Coulter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, let's go then to our last episode for Weekend TV. And uh, Noel, remember last week when you said, "Yeah, that- no, I don't want to hear about last week, Kate. I don't. Yeah. I don't need you. I don't need you feeding me some crow." <laughs> okay. So, so this we're talking about the Roaring Twenties week. Um, and like, let's start with for me one of the big things none of them have heard of beignets that feels very strange but apparently that's like not a thing at all in the uk and nobody watches treme um so aside from that let's i mean unless you have thoughts on the beignets we can, i think we can move right along i think it's i no, i was really like how but have you not watched anything about new orleans ever ever <laughs> like it's beignets. They're delicious. I'm confused. <laughs> but Neil, back in the 20s, people like this special kind of delicacy. It's called beignets. They're it's, fr- a- it's, fr- it's, it's, it's just fried dough. Yeah, it's their donuts. They're, they're, they're donuts. And and the, the, the beignet souffles that they were doing are different than the beignets yes. in New Orleans. No, um, they are. But However- still, like the principle, <laughs> it means a fritter, right? It's yeah. not complicated. No. So, no, it's okay. not. So it was it was flummoxing. Continue. Okay, so we also had custard pie. And that takes me to my next thing. Last time was Dairy Week, and they didn't make anything that was primarily dairy. This week is 20s week, and they have them make custard pies. Custard pie should be your, your signature challenge for Dairy Week. Obviously, what is wrong with these producers? I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't know. I wish I I, I could understand, but I don't. And mm-hmm. it just feels systematic, systematic, symptomatic of this entire season at this point of kind of jumbled in terms of what they're doing and how they're arcing um, their episodes, just their episodes, period, but also how they're planning their episodes on a production level. Um, it's just, it's really, really frustrating. And I'm just flummoxed by Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't even t- getting into the showstoppers, which is really where I have all my issues. Yeah. Um, well, because I thought the custard pies, I thought they looked delicious. Yes. They looked really pretty. They could have been the showstoppers, um, most of them. I also ran into an issue of like, wait, no, you said one of these was too busy, but they all were really busy. The one like, you I liked don't... the best was like so covered in things you couldn't actually see the custard. Right, but yet you're going to accuse someone else of, do you think that's going to be too busy? No, because they're all really busy. (laughs) (laughs) You've asked them to decorate them. I'm confused about what's happening right now. What is happening right now? I feel like I'm on crazy pills. Yes. Um, Okay, so so our let's go to the showstoppers then. And then we're going to go to the judging and the hosting and the elimination. Um, So the showstopper for 20s Week is to make a prohibition cake which just means make a booze or a cocktail flavored cake which by the way flavors are the signature challenge thing so that should have been the signature challenge it should have been a regular cake that was cocktail flavored and that was a signature and they came up with a different showstopper that's aside from the point what is supposed to be the thing they're judged on in the showstopper round Noel? why is it called the showstopper round because it stops the show it's visually the most appealing thing Okay, it's supposed to be so, visually appealing, and yeah. So if you have a, a a cake that's centered on a cocktail called the Vampire's Kiss, is it more important that it be raspberry flavored like the cocktail, or that it be blood red, the same color as the cocktail, and also vampire 
Um, what do you think? What what seems like a better choice for a showstopper, not a signature challenge? I really feel like it should be the, about the visual appeal and then the flavor. But then I have other issues with this challenge apart from this. So yes. we'll get into that in a minute. Okay, let's, let's go into that. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, no. So my my big problem is is I'm sorry. How many of these are actually like prohibition era flavors? Because where the f- is my G and T cake? Yeah, like I'm deeply confused about this. This this has nothing to do with prohibition. No, nothing this, at all. This is just make a make a alcohol infused cake. To which I go, but why in prohibition period are we doing this? There's no one's doing anything that feels like a cocktail specific to the to the theme of the episode. It's like. Five pina colada cakes feels really safe to me. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. you're gonna do? You're just gonna pour some sour amaretto on there because you don't drink alcohol. I see you, and I am not surprised by that statement. Um, well, and I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with Priya doing a mocktail flavor. Like, no, thing, I'm okay right? with that. I'm okay that's with great. that. Mock- I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. But like, this is supposed to be Prohibition Week, so. It should be something like flavors and cocktails from the time. It yep. should be decorated to match the time period, which they say that, but then nobody does that and they don't ding anybody for that. Right. Um, or they do do or they do do it and they do it in like a deconstructed sort of style, which I'm okay with. But mm-hmm. it's not like, for a showstopper though. I mean none not of those for were a showstopper. showstopper. No, they weren't. Like I appreciated like Henry's naked cake and with Art Deco splashes of triangles, yeah, but that's, I just yeah, I scoff. Yeah. Scoff is what I say yeah. to that. Um, yeah. Did you hear what friend of the show Emily Stevens said she would do? No, 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 I did not. Oh yes, what she said she would do would be she would be a surprise cake, and then the inside sure. would be a fruit cake, uh, a rum soaked fruit cake, and on the yeah. outside would be a coffee flavored cake because you would go to a coffee shop and then inside hidden would be the speakeasy speakeasy that's really smart isn't that a great idea nobody does anything like that because they actually don't care if it matches the time period or has anything to do with prohibition and so this whole week this whole challenge is absolutely ridiculous and comes from nowhere like i could tell where dairy came from because they came from mishti they wanted to do mishti and then they worked backwards right i got it i thought that was a really cool challenge so it made sense this one i have no idea what the where they came came up with this idea and it, it oh god it's really and stupid. also prohibition didn't happen in england so i'm also doubly confused about what's happening right now <laughs> yeah yeah what like it because because it's fun i guess uh, next the next episode after the one that aired today as we record um the one that aired today is, is desserts week but the one after that is festivals week and so they're going to do one of the one of the rounds is going to be like carnival one of them is going to be christmas whatever and it's like really is this where we're at we can't come up with like categories of baking anymore we have to do carnival week or we have to do make a cocktail cake and don't actually decorate it in the time like they need to give them more time for these showstoppers so they actually have enough time to fully cool the cakes and then actually decorate them for a couple hours if they want them to have good designs they need to stop um with these very asinine uh, eliminations, which we are, we will get to, and very strange critiques. I thought that Helena's cake looked great. It looked sickly and strange and off-putting, and it was 
around the theme of horror, and 20s horror, by the way, and vampires. So that is appropriate. That shade of green with that light pink icing was exactly right for the theme. Um, Far more on point than some of the others. And also, in a showstopper challenge, is is the critique you're going to give, hmm, I think this is too decorated. Why is Michelle, why, oh, we should get to the eliminations. So Helena, uh, Helena and Michelle both get eliminated. Was this the week that we needed the double elimination? No, but I also feel like they were maybe like pushed to do it at this point. I don't know. The, the like, producers? Yeah. Of like, all right, let's, let's do it now um, to really up the stakes. And it's like, but you're not upping the stakes. You just eliminated two people. That's not upping the stakes. You're just eliminating it never felt like a stake raiser type of thing and also it was readily transparent that they were going to eliminate two people because our two beloved hosts can't hide the fact that they're eliminating two people that week because it's in like noel's tone of voice when he's declaring star baker of like yeah no here's star baker but also we have to yeah. eliminate two people today and it's like well i know when this is happening <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it just feels, it feels really weird to do it in a week of, honestly, if it wasn't the producer's push to do it this week, it's the producer's fault that it happened this week because of a poorly designed episode. Poorly designed, poorly edited, poorly, yeah. uh, poorly written, you know, as far as, as, as like the talking heads and constructed episode. Yeah. yeah. Why not in Dairy Week when everybody fell on their faces yeah. for the technical? Why in this week? There was nothing, like, there were not two people lagging behind everyone else. And so that's why they did the double elimination. That was complete BS. Um, so I was surprised when Michelle got eliminated. I was extra surprised when Michelle and Helena got eliminated. I assumed it was going to be Priya's time. Right. Um, it should have been, is the thing. Like, yeah. Both Helena and Michelle have been delivering really interesting things. Mm-hmm. So I'm really confused by this. And I understand, like, there was like, well, they just had a bad week sort of perspective. But I also go, but. But that's so not, did Priya. <laughs> that's what so did Priya. But also, that's not really been a thing this season. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the decisions have been borderline cumulative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah. Well, and I also didn't think that they did a terrible job either. No, like, they I, didn't. Like I don't didn't think they stood out like for me when Phil was eliminated, he stood out as different than the other bakers in what he was he was consistently delivering. But what I'm seeing now as a trend with Phil and then with Helena and with the next person eliminated um is that it it really feels like the judges just decide that someone is not bake off material and yeah. doesn't make the kind of bakes that they like. Um, or that they prefer. And so it's they after a while they're gonna get eliminated. I really don't think Helena was eliminated because she had the worst bakes. At least that's no. not what the episode showed. It, she was eliminated because they don't care about or respect her aesthetic. And so they're like, okay, we get it, it was cute and all, but it's time for the spooky chick to go, regardless yes. of, of her actual performance with her bakes. Um because right. she was first in technical and her 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 signature wasn't great but it looked amazing and other right. people no, had worse like, signatures who puts a kraken in a bunch of custard tarts who well, does that especially during 20s i immediately yeah. went to lovecraft and i yeah. was like oh that's great for 20s yeah. that i mean obviously he wrote longer than that but like that's like the idea of like a monster or kraken or cthulhu or something coming out of the depths like i think that's yeah. awesome yeah 
It's great. Yeah. And so, no, I, I, I think I'm with you in, no, I don't think I am with you in the fact that a lot of it feels motivated by the fact that her approach and aesthetics don't fit what Bake Off is supposed to be, even if there's plenty of room for cute, the in the complete other inverted perspective of Helena's cute Kim gothy Joy, approach. Basically. Kim Joy's aesthetic is perfectly acceptable, which isn't to knock Kim Joy's aesthetic because I really like Kim Joy's aesthetic a yeah. great deal. So that's very not good a knock. No, it's very good. I really like Kim Joy's whole approach to baking, but it doesn't. It fits with what they want to present, whereas Helena's for some reason doesn't, even though it's completely non-threatening in all sorts of ways. It's just it's goofy scary type stuff it's not scary stuff it's goofy scary well and she was just getting more comfortable and yeah. getting more creative as it went along she, she made for really good tv too because yeah. all the stuff with her and noel was gold oh, god it's such gold and now there's nothing for the, him to play <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it's just really frustrating and i don't you know like obviously we can't taste the bakes so yeah. it's very possible that they deserve to go home but if that is the case they have to do a much better job and this idea that like we're not going to show them deliberating and actually talking about like like when you get to the end like it's all down to the showstopper and then someone delivers a at least a solid showstopper you don't get to then eliminate that person without showing them say well after the showstoppers what do you think well now i'm reevaluating because so and so had this great showstopper but they had they really struggled in the signature and blah 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 i feel like if they're last in the technical they have to at least be in the conversation like they're not doing that this season in a way that they did in the past. And certainly the talking heads have not been helping either. They, the producers are really going for these surprise shock eliminations. Like even just the editing, the way they keep cutting to the shocked faces of the, of, of the bakers. Um, also they keep cutting to people they're trying to set up as rivals for each other during the judging of the showstoppers. Have you noticed that? Yes, I have. And what's great is that the contestants just aren't doing it. Yeah. So it's just like, what are what are you trying to cook up here? Because yeah. th- all the contestants still think they're on Bake Off from a couple of seasons ago still. Yeah. Instead of whatever this new one has. And I'm kind of impressed to a certain degree that it took a couple of seasons for the version of Bake Off we were all concerned about appearing, finally appearing, basically. Yeah, to completely... Because, like, there were hints of it like with the 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 thing with the open fire and like yeah there were hints of it but like it's fully emerged at this point i think yes it has risen from the custard tarts (laughs) (laughs) and its tentacles are being felt everywhere but it's also i think the other thing is and again i don't know if it's the contestants or in this case if it's the contestants or if it's just poor planning but i mean i remember like five weeks, four weeks ago being like four, three, four weeks ago being like, this group feels really, really strong. And now I'm like, who the fuck are these people? And how did they get on this show? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I, I'm loathe in my re- write-ups and my recaps and reviews over at the AV club to put any of this on the bakers because I don't know if yeah. they're, if they're, cause I'm not there you know and it's down to the casting department but like they seemed like they knew what they were doing they had some a surprising number of blind spots but i tend to to put the onus much more on the producers and on the judges and at times on the hosts than i do 
on the contestants because they're just there trying to bake. And I don't know. I am really frustrated with the approach, especially that the judges have been taking um, this season. And again, like, like you, I was like, we were on an upward trajectory. I was more excited about this season. And these last few episodes, specifically because of the eliminations, um, it's been hard to get on board. If I wasn't writing about the show, I would very possibly just stop watching it. Yeah, and I think that's borderline reasonable at this point. Like, I'm mm. sort of willing to give them, like, a little bit of a tether, a little bit more of a leash just because I do enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's getting hard to feel like there's a degree of enjoyment from the show yeah. any longer. Um, in no small part because it just kind of doesn't feel like what the show was. Yeah. Because of the challenge structure and because of the judging, it just... It just kind of feels like a show now as opposed to something that is inspirational, but also deeply, deeply comforting. And again, the contestants are sort of like also feel slightly befuddled by everything that's happening around them because this this is not the show that they thought they were going to be on. But I also just wonder how much of this is also just, again, we cast a really young group of people again this Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, Yeah. Well, if you want to read my thoughts, go over to the AV Club and you can dive in there. Let me know what you think and dive in in the comments. Um, But certainly I'm frustrated. So um, it's not winning my week in TV. What wins your week in TV, Noel? Um, I mean, the terror, probably. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I was going to say, I was flummoxed there for a moment. Yeah. No, I think I'll give it to, you know, I really did enjoy Evil this week, so I'm going to give it to Evil. Okay. I'll I'll give it to Dairy Girls. I think that was actually my favorite thing this week, though. There were a few other ones that were fun. Um, Now we will take a break and come back with our spotlight on Amazon Prime's Undone. I'm so bored of living. I wake up every morning in the same bed, I get dressed, and I eat the same breakfast and then take the same commute to work. I'm 28 years old, and I'm terrified this is all there is. Dad. Is this a dream? Well, partly. I know two weeks is a long time for me to be away. If you're feeling weird about anything, just come talk to me and we'll figure it out. You don't need to worry about me because I'm pretty much okay. Pretty much. You're fine, right? I just feel like everyone's messing with me. You're acting even stranger than usual. You usually act even stranger than usual. But since the accident, you have been acting more even stranger than usual than usual. Ah! I'm seeing my dead father. I wasn't in an accident. I was killed. And he's training me to travel in time. With your ability, we can change what happened. So I can save him from being murdered. Yourself too hard. What are you doing to me? I can't do this. I can't keep ending up places, Go. seeing stuff, and missing things. It's all about your emotions. You need to feel them without letting them become you. How do I do that? Just deep breaths. Hey, baby cakes. Streams of lifetimes of suffering are carried through your mind and body. Even the good feelings, you have to let go of those too. They can't be who you are if you want to be free. Of course, the only one in my family who believes in me is the dead one. 
for now. That was a trailer for Amazon Prime's Undone, which is an animated eight-episode limited series, I guess, for right now, but show on, on Amazon Prime. Um, it's rotoscoped, and it is uh, it explores – it follows the main character, um, Alma, as she recovers from a car accident that has left her either – like, unlocked her – supernatural abilities or left her with brain trauma and uh, PTSD that is exacerbating potential schizophrenia. So it's some intense stuff um, told in a, in a specific and interesting way. So what did you know about the show before you started watching Noel and what was your reaction? Um, so what I knew about it boiled up to it had Rosa Salazar, it had Bob Odenkirk, and that it was rotoscoped. That was what I knew about it. Um, and that it was had some like waking life esque thing to it, which is also a rotoscoped um, film. Um, so th- that is what I knew about it. Um, I really, really liked this more so on a performance and aesthetics level. Um, I have some squishy sort of feelings about some of the mental health stuff a little bit. Um, but I think overall, I think that it's pretty darn good. And I think that it's also one of those things where everyone kind of needs to watch out because based on this and based on, yes, I saw it, Battle Angel Alita, Rosa Salazar is one of the most comfortable people working in special effects, heavy CG, heavy type things that we're going to find. Um, because she's real good in this, and she's shockingly good in Battle Angel Alita, when virtually no one else is. <laughs> um, so I think that there's, with someone with lesser in lesser hands for the central performance, I feel like that this show doesn't quite work. But because of Salazar's ability to do certain things, it works really, really well. And th- without her, I think it would just have been a really pretty exercise in trippiness man yeah (laughs) and instead of feeling really grounded in something um so that's kind of what i feel about it yeah rosa salazar came to my attention when she was in man seeking woman and Uh was really good you think she's gonna be the woman and then it turns out that she ends up as just the thread of like season two and the eventual wife shows up in season three, but she was really good there and, and stuck in my mind. I haven't seen Alita battle angel yet. Um, but yeah, based on her performance here, I can absolutely see what you're saying. And it, I think that because the narrative is so centered on, on her and what she's experiencing, if, if she doesn't work, nothing in the show works and i think it's a good it's a very good performance and it's good writing too and i think they because because of the strength of that central performance and the dynamic with her and rosa salazar and angelique cabral who i of course we really liked on enlisted she's very good here the whole oh that's where she's from thank you it's driving me nuts and i didn't bother to look it up but yes thank you yeah so that that dynamic really centered the show for me yeah i think that that dynamic is Arguably, weirdly, way more important than the um, Alma and Jacob mm-hmm. um, dynamic, which is just fascinating. But also at the same time, um, casting Bob Odekirk as a theoretical physicist is just 
possibly how have we not done that already <laughs> yeah no <laughs> how, he, how, how did that not happen until just now <laughs> yeah he i mean and he's just doing bob odenkirk right he's just yes. doing like the thing that that he does i mean granted he's very good he's shown that he's actually quite a a terrific actor when given uh the material and obviously he's very funny um but he's not he's not stretching in in this no. but but his like like this performance i think actually works really well for the show and as as you're going along and trying to decide i mean for me i didn't actually really come down on a strong place until the end what i thought was happening whether it was real or not but either way i think his performance really works and as you go along through the show and you're like oh this is not great this is like whether he's real or he's not he does not have almost best interests at heart he is not a good person um it, that that kind of creeps in from the edges but because odin kirk is so good at that like comforting father figure thing you know reassuring thing when you start to question him, when you start to question his motives and, you know, the various things he's um, contributed to in his daughter's life in different ways later in the, in the series, it's really impactful. It is. And I think that that kind of slow crawl of unsettledness from uh, Jacob, I think is really good. And Odenkirk does a really good job of making sure that that stays really balanced in terms of, like you were saying, intentions maybe not the best but also like little bits of the writing really kind of drive home the unsteadiness of whatever version of jacob is occurring here down to there's a line in like episode seven or eight where he refers to when talking to when talking to alma he says something about being there for your family not our family Mm -hmm. i just went oh and that's it just feels really really purposeful from a writing perspective to make that choice that disassociation um and from a desire to try to draw alma in more to him um but it's also just it really drives home that sense of manipulation that sense of control that sense of intentionality of what is jacob after and i say jacob with that kind of emphasis to really drive home again the very fuzzy lines that the show draws about who what jacob is yeah did you come down on a side of what was happening um as you were watching did it matter to you um it's it mattered to me insofar as because of the sort of like um this is where things got kind of squishy for me is like the sort of like fantasticalness of the of the show leans sometimes heavy into potential glorification mm-hmm. um which always makes me kind of uncomfortable and when they started introducing those elements uh especially in the back half of the uh run of like I got really uncomfortable sometimes with what they were doing. I'm piling it on top of the fact that Alma is already deaf. Um, so like adding that uh, extra element to it, I was just kind of a little, a little wary of what they were doing. So to answer your question, it mattered insofar as I kind of needed something to kind of like latch onto. So I knew what they thought basically as a show. Um, but I, the, 
the literary person in me also just really appreciates the general ambiguity of that and also treating this as especially by the end where I feel like there's much more of an approach and by the end I mean very much the last episode um very much an approach of no she's she's schizophrenic um and how a lot of how it presents but also like in the calibration of that we see all reactions to Alma but then there's also just little plot points of like how did, would she have known about that fight? And those kinds of things. Um, but also she did dive into a mirror in front of five children um, type of thing. So I think that the show sometimes wants to have its cake and eat it too, which I don't really appreciate. But the balancing act of demonstrating someone's potential um, development of schizophrenia, I think is also really good from again a television perspective um maybe not necessarily good from a realism perspective a realistic perspective um so that's kind of where i fell on it is that i think the show is really good at it but it also just makes me kind of just a little uncomfortable and i'm not sure that i'm supposed to be uncomfortable or not so it's kind of hard to tell yeah i think if there was um more of a sense that like if the show was actually a little more ambiguous I think it would have been more impactful because as far as I'm concerned, by the end, there is a correct answer. And I agree with you. But because they layer in things that she couldn't have known. And like sometimes with like the security guard, right? They give a a potential reason of what like she could have noticed and not realized that she noticed and then picked up on. Right. But with the fight, if they had not underscored that that definitely happened and what what she learned or what she you know what she saw actually had been it was truthful and did happen then i feel like it's open and shut and they didn't want it to be open and shut i I think you know we I, i think we we were able to trust her experiences in the past too much and some well, it, like if this is one of the moments where I think I feel like if it had been a combination live action and rotoscope show, you could have had more fluidity there, and it would have been more impactful. Um, where like the present is live action, and the dad is rotoscoped, and the dreamscape imaginary like that stuff is rotoscoped, and the past like in him she travels in time that's rotoscoped. I think that would have allowed for more subjectivity, but having her mom confirm that a fight that there was no way for her to know about because the only other people who are there are dead and she, the mom never told her, um, means that some part of it has to be true. Some level of her experience, right, is, is something other than just her developing mental illness. But the, I thought the end of the series was beautiful and then, absolutely gutting when you realize the delusion has set back in and she's not going to get the help that she needs. And, and it's just in that last shot, the performance is excellent. The animation is excellent. Um, and it just kicks you right in the stomach. Yeah, no, it's the, the last shot is like just really good for just all the reasons you just enumerated. Um, Salazar's performance, the um, animation work of it is just really, really good. But also, like the dawning realization of right, yeah, no, this 
this isn't going to work. Um, is just it's really difficult to watch. And I was just like, no, why are you leaving her? No, do not leave her. What are you doing? Don't do it. Um, I was getting like kind of angry at the screen. I was just like, why are you doing this? But then it was just like really apparent why they wanted, because again, manufactured. Um, yeah, but it was just it. Yeah, it was just it's real good, and we should know like um, this is of. Uh, a lot of the folks involved work on worked on uh, BoJack Horseman as well. Um, a lot of the writers involved worked on Bo- BoJack Horseman. With you've actually watched, and I still haven't watched. Um, so, like, if there's a show about tackling mental illness, it's this one. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. Um, question for you: uh, Did you watch this like on your computer or your phone, or did you watch this streaming onto your television set? I watched it on my laptop. Okay, did you check out any of the trivia that Amazon will, like... No, because I'm watching the show. Well, I mean, like, sometimes it comes up when I, like, go to pause it because I need to pause it to mm-hmm. do something. Um, and what was actually really fascinating is that they shot this really, really quickly because, of course, they had to um, because of the nece- necessary for doing all the animation for it because the animation for this is deeply, deeply expensive. Like, a lot of oil painting. But also the fact that they just kind of filmed it in like empty areas because then it all gets painted anyway. Um, so, but they had to choreograph everything, even if they were just opening a door that was not there for them when they were recording the live action stuff, which is just endlessly fascinating from an acting perspective for me of like, how much of what you're having to do is like actually happening because it's just going to get drawn in later. Um, it's just really, it's really neat. And so I really like rotoscoping. And I think that especially rotoscoping now, as opposed to how it was in the eighties when it just didn't look great. (laughs) Um, I think it just works really, really well here and they use it to really good effects. Um, cause I don't fully agree that we needed like shifts into a live action here. Um, because I think that that would just take us out of it. And I think that, rotoscoping is like an animation special effect but also an animation process has come far enough away that you can just get so much um whatchamacallit so much specificity from the actors faces um that i don't necessarily need the live action um aspect of it okay it's interesting yeah no there were parts that i thought really benefited even just in the performances from being rotoscoped and then there were parts that I thought suffered from from it. So that where they, like they was distracting or I didn't believe the movements and the weight of them. Yeah. And, and now that I find out that sometimes they didn't have the objects, that, that might've been part of it too. <laughs> might not have been the rotoscoping, might've been, you know, some elements of, you know, the performance and the, and the rotoscoping all combined together. Um, but yeah, what you gain from the rotoscoping is certainly um, really impactful. And, and, I think it's an, certainly an interesting way to approach it, and it feels like a storytelling, right? It feels story like a like a like a novel or, or a graphic novel or like yes. so, something that you're following, and it smooths the edges of her like the transition into the more fantastical. Yeah, and I think that's really important because you want that for what they want. You want that fuzziness to kind of always be present, as opposed to something that creeps in. And I think that's important for what they were wanting to achieve here. Um, so, 
Yeah. Did you have any other performances you wanted to shout out? It was fun to see uh, David Diggs pop up. He was like, that is David Diggs. Huh. Yeah, no, it's very much, oh, that's David Diggs. Um, <laughs> I think that there is a lot of uh, good things that we should also say about Constance Marie. She's who plays, great. Who plays uh, Camillo, who's the mom. Um, in, in saddled with the really thankless performance of the <laughs> of it. But she's also just really, really good in it. Like, the kind of desperation of wanting what's best, but also recognizing that things are going wrong because of her own history. But also, like, that refusal to fully engage just feels really specific and really grounded in a fear and a a, a concern that she dare not speak type of thing that I really, really like throughout, but also especially as we got more context. Um, It just became it became more apparent like everything that led up to, was being layered in from like the start um, felt much more fully a piece of things as opposed to just being the naggy clinging mom. Yeah, no, definitely. And and if it it was, you know, I said this earlier about the visuals not being grounded, but the performance, that performance was especially grounded and very, mm-hmm. um, very much at the center of the show. The, yeah. like, really all of the performances I thought were, were solid and uh, were, were compelling and and worked well. Um, even, like, uh, Tyler Posey as Miguel, Father Miguel, I didn't recognize that that was Tyler Posey, but as soon as I saw them, that it's like, was Tyler that Posey. was Tyler oh Posey. Oh my god. And then I want to okay. be like, Constance so Marie, weird. why are you listen to Tyler Posey? Come on. You know better than him. He's oh. like a baby. Which he's not, obviously, but like, you know, in my head. I mean, he is. He's a baby. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was, it was, um, it was very well put together. How'd you feel about the length, number of episodes? I honestly think you could probably have cut like an hour out of this. Mm-hmm. Three episodes? Maybe two to three episodes, and I think it would have been a little tighter. Mm-hmm. We definitely shouldn't have like had a full episode before she even had the crash. Yeah. I don't know. I liked just spending that whole episode with the modernity of it all. I kind of like that, but I don't, I would not be upset if they just jettisoned that either. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, maybe losing that aspect of it. And then um, as much as it feels necessary, a lot of the stuff of surrounding the corporation and, like, arguably, like, I know it's, like, the inciting incident for everything, but, like, really the mystery of how he died is the least interesting thing. In the oh, show. yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff coupled with the um, the investigative part provides them a spine, but it's also just... It's obviously, like, the least interesting thing that they care about, but it's also, like, the only way that they can feel justified in keeping Sam around after she finds out that he's been lying to her following the accident. God, he's the worst. <laughs> um, I did like the, uh, the the flashback we got for him, though. Yeah, yeah. Which also, again, plays into this the concept of, wait, how does she know this? But also, that becomes an unreliable narrator sort of situation because we never get confirmation of it. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, right away with, with Jacob, he's the kind of person who would leave his daughter on a street corner, just in a town, like in a neighborhood, just somewhere to rush off to work instead of taking her with. 
doesn't make any sense. And he's a terrible person. And I think the fact that the, like, the magic trick they pull of getting you to focus on other things after introducing that fact long enough that you will actually go on this journey with her is very impressive. <laughs> It is. No, it's super duper impressive. And and certainly as a exploration of mental health and of relationships and of you know dealing with PTSD and trauma from your youth and also trying to be around and help someone who's going through that. I think it's a really interesting show and it has a lot of interesting comments on that. I can't speak to that experience, but it feels like someone in the writing staff can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anything else? No, I think people should check out, check yeah. out the show. I mean, I watched it all in one sitting. It's eight episodes. Um, and it was, I mean, I probably, if I hadn't needed to, I would have taken a break somewhere in there, but like it was, it, it, it was a really watchable show and it goes, it goes smoothly. I mean, I think it would work well episode to episode, but it also certainly works as a binge. Yeah. I did it in like two, well, I would. I was about to say I did it in two chunks, but I also like stopped after the first episode for like a day because of just my schedule. Um, but I ended up doing this in like two chunks, really, of like two through four and then five through eight. Um, and like the five through eight of which I watched today. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting show. And listeners, if you have thoughts, reach out and let us know what you think of undone and do you want there to be a season two um yeah i don't know if i could i don't know if i could take a season two man it would be very sad there's no need for a season two and i really hope we don't get one yeah well let us know what you think listeners a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can like our page on facebook and start up a conversation there you can also email us the televerse at gmail.com and we're up in apple Podcasts with an m4 chapter feed and mp3 unchaptered feed and we're also up in stitcher of course we're both on twitter i am at the televerse noel you are at noel rk thank you so much for a great week kate thank you noel and again happy birthday thank you. um and listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.